Well, good evening, everybody. So good to see you all here tonight. Um, we have a special treat tonight in our guest speaker, yes, Pastor Carol Gosman. I can see you already know she's absolutely amazing, and we are so blessed to have her. I just want to say thank you to you, Carol, for so much. You've invested so much in my life. Carol was the most hands-on prophetic mentor I've ever had in my life. And she taught me stuff I didn't even know I didn't know. It was just amazing. But she is such a rich well of wisdom, of grace. She is passionate for the kingdom. I know that tonight as you sit under her ministry, you are going to get passionate for the kingdom also. And I've actually asked Carol to start off with doing some prophetic ministry. So just put your faith out there and trust the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Carol. Amen. So great to be with you. I bring greetings from every nation across, across the way, just a little bit west of here. Uh, we are doing good things. We just bought a property. Woo, woo, woo. Now we have to pay for it. Pray for us. God is good. <laughs> We're so excited. The kingdom is growing across Johannesburg, planting churches in Bryanston, buying properties. Who knows what we're going to do next? It's going to be amazing. So you stick, stick right here. God has got great things. Gentlemen in the blue sweatshirt, you, call out your name loud. Sees where, I hear, I hear the Lord saying very specifically that he's, he's been working your life in four-year cycles, and, and you, kind, you kind of, for the last three years or so, there, there's been a little bit of a struggle. You know, it had, you've, been, you've been in a season that you know is a good season, but it's not, it's not like the season you've loved. It's like been, it's been hard work, it's, been, it's certainly been productive, but it's been, it's been sometimes just dry. You've just felt, where is God? Where is the joy I've always felt in the past, in the things I've done? I know that I'm on the right track, but Jesus, this is just really, really tough. And I, and I hear the Lord saying, son, son, I am building in you the warriors, the warriors of a muscle, the muscles of a warrior. I'm building in you strength and might because I am indeed launching you into a new season that is just around the corner, a season of increase, a season of release, a season of influence. I see that, that God is getting ready to place you on a platform where your voice will be heard and your voice will be known and that you will, you will, your Christianity will be noted. And I hear the Lord saying, I have been pushing on the, on the weak places of your faith, and I have been prodding at the places that I need you to work on, because I know that there is a time coming when you will be, you will be in the firing line of public knowledge and public, public scrutiny. And son, I've been preparing you to carry my voice into places of influence, into, into, on national platforms. The national platforms are still quite a way in the future, so I don't want you to get too hit up about that. But right now, your job is to dig deep into Jesus, to find him, to grow in him, to allow him to point out the weak places and to allow him to strengthen those places because, son, he's heard the cry of your heart. From a young age, young age, I see you about four and five, you kind of, you, you outdoors and you, you running, you were kind of like a wild child and you, 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 were, you were kind of running and making a little bit of chaos and, and as you were running, you were, you were crying out and you were saying, God, I want great things, I want great things, I want great things and you didn't even know it was a prayer, you just thought it was just you being you and I hear God saying, I heard son, I heard. And when you cried out, I heard, and I've set things in motion. Indeed, I will do what you have asked. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. I love the sound at Rosebank. It always makes you sound more anointed. Good job, sound team. The lady with the, the orange headdress. If there's going to be a prophetic person, wear something bright, guys. It's the way it works. It's the way it works. I see you. I see you. I hear the Lord saying, my daughter, um, I've see, I see you walking along it. It's a dusty road, and you're pulling a heavy weight. How many of you go to gym? You know, those, you know that carpet where they push that thing? You know what I'm talking about? I always look, what are they doing? What are they doing? Is, that doesn't look like fun. But... I see, I see you kind of like on a dusty road and you're pushing this like heavy weight. And I, I, I hear the Lord saying, my daughter, I have come to relieve you of your burdens. I'm standing next to you right now and I, I am putting my shoulder next to your hand and we will push together. For many years you have felt, you have felt almost abandoned by, by 
it's not like people you love left you, but it's like they just didn't have what you needed them to have at that moment. And I hear the Lord saying, my daughter, do not fear, because I have exactly what you need at this moment. I have the emotional strength. You've been crying out. It's like, like deep in your emotions, there's been, a, there's been some turmoil, and there's been some kind of going backwards and forwards. And I see the Lord just coming and touching deep in your soul and touching that emotional space and saying, I'm setting your, emotion, your, your emotions on a firm foundation. I'm establishing you in a, in a place of emotional Emotional strength and emotional stability. And I am going to raise you. I see God raising you up as a, almost like a, as you rising out of the ground as this giant statue. And it's, um, it doesn't mean that you're cold-hearted or stony or anything. It, it means that God is giving you strength, but he's also giving you prominence. And especially in your family environment, there have been a lot of, there's been a lot of emotional instability. There have been people who promised things didn't live up to that promise. There have been people who've, who've made commitments and didn't keep to those commitments, and not because they were bad people. It's just they didn't know how to, and they didn't have the capacity to. And I hear the Lord saying, I am going to do a new work in you. I'm going to set a standard in your family and in your environment where people will look at you and will say, look what God has done. Look how God has made a difference in her life. I see, I see many of your family members, your extended family members, just coming to the Lord because of what they see Him do in you. There's been some, in your broader family, some mental illness. I, see, I hear the Lord saying, I'm putting on you an anointing for healing of mental illnesses. That indeed, you have, you've had some, you've never had mental illness, but you've battled with some things in your mind. And, and God is giving you a great anointing to actually break that in other people. To break the anxiety, the fears, the, the feelings of depression and loneliness. I, I see the Lord even taking you in time to come into mental hospitals, I do, sorry, I don't know if that's the right word, into psychiatric wards, and just um, with great tenderness, love, and compassion, just laying hands on people that people have just given up on, and I see the Lord bringing healing to them. And I hear the Lord saying there's a, there's a, a deep compassion in your heart for those that other people have passed over. Because some time back you felt passed over and yet God found you. And at the same time, God is saying to you, I will lead you to the people that other people have passed over. And you will look them in the eye and you will speak the truth of God to them. You will draw out the identity of heaven in their lives and you will see them come to life. Dead souls come to life. Broken hearts put back together. Just emotional stability where there hasn't been. Just a will to live and a hope for the future come where there hasn't been. Just right thinking, sound minds, strong souls. And I hear the Lord, I hear the Lord just commending you. There's greatness on you. There's greatness on you. Do not settle for anything less than those things that pump through your heart because God has said yes to those things. Amen. There's, there's someone here that you, you've, in some kind of, it's either sporting or some kind of a, it's not necessarily an accident, but something where you hurt your one knee. There's someone here with, who's, who's either got pain in their one knee or has got problems in their one knee. Is there, who's that? Everyone's pointing at someone. <laughs> there you are. God's, God wants to heal you today, my friend. Can you stand up? Is there anyone else? There may be more than one. Please, everyone who's sore knees, stand up. Sore knees, stand up. Oh, there are a lot of you. <laughs> I see some runners in the midst. I know those runners' knees. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask you all to just place your hands on the, on the particular knee that's painful. Those of you around them can just gather around them, lay your hands on them. Let's all be a part of the miracle that God is going to do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, you're so faithful. Lord God, we just heard that, that testimony about endometriosis and cysts being healed. Lord God, this is just the start of your miraculous journey. Lord God, we just speak right now to everybody 
every physical body of the people standing, we just, we just release the power of heaven into their lives right now. I just speak to the, the physical cells and systems of these bodies, and I say, say, receive your king, receive your king, receive your king in Jesus' name. Right now, I speak to these knees, and I say, be restored. Holy One, would you come and touch them? Holy Spirit, we just, we just ask you as the great physician, would you come and touch those knees? Right, there, we, there he goes. Some of you are feeling heat in your knee right now. Just, just receive that. Some of you are feeling a tingling. Just receive that. Some of you are not feeling anything. Don't worry. Just receive God's presence. Thank you, Lord. Right now, in Jesus' name, I speak to those knees. I speak to that cartilage, and I say, say be mended in Jesus' name. Those ligaments that are torn, I command you to come, come right, right now, in Jesus' name. Any fractures or old injuries, I just speak to those, and I say, be restored. Any um, muscle injuries around that knee, I just say, be healed. Peace, peace, peace in that place. Lord God, to these joints, I just say wholeness right now. Wholeness in Jesus' name. Wholeness in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. 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 There it goes. Thank you, Lord. Some of you are feeling the pain leave right now. I'm going to ask you to just check out your knee, move it around a little bit, do some squats. I know. You didn't have a knee before, a sore knee beforehand, but you did that squat and wham. How many of you felt an improvement? Just wave at me. Good job. It's improvement. How about you down here? Guys, God, God touched you. You put a smile on your face. Look excited. <laughs> Can you tell any improvement? You have to go for like a 50K run before you know. <laughs> any, any improvements down here? There was someone being prayed for down here. Who is it? How's it feeling? Move it, my friend. And? <laughs> they, do they feel better? You don't know. Okay, all of you, I'm going to lay hands on you personally after the service, so please come forward. I will do that. We'll take that improvement to a zero pain. How's that? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for every person here. Lord God, thank you for the word that is about to come, Lord God, because you are, you are going to you're going to speak to people words that I'm not even saying, Lord God. I, I want to ask that they would, they would hear more than I'm saying. They would hear your voice speaking to their souls. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Awesome. So we are talking, you, you are in the middle of a series called Be Different, It's Time. Amen. We're doing the exact same series out in... Um, so if we just called it Kingdom Life Be Different. So it's the same thing. And I'm going to be talking tonight about Jesus at the door. How many of you went out on the streets? Wasn't that amazing? 176 people saved in one hour. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. We're going to just talk about, we're going to talk about that portion of Scripture. And I've called this Jesus at the door, the great exchange. Jesus at the door, the great exchange. I want to start with a story. <laughs> Many years ago, how many of you have in-laws? Just raise your hand if you have in-laws. Those of you who haven't raised your hand, I'm going to explain to you about in-laws. So, so when you get married, you get an incredible spouse and you get in-laws. And, and you know what? Mostly in-laws are fantastic, absolutely fantastic. But you know, you get married to this person you love and you've built a relationship and you get these other people who you have no relationship with whatsoever and you have to call them mom and dad. You know, it's just like being thrust into this close relationship without any warning. And it's awkward and it's weird for the first little while. Guys, when you have in-laws, you know what I'm talking about. After a while, it comes okay, but initially it's weird. And you, you're calling them mom and you're calling them dad, but you're like, who are you? Do you even like me? So, I'm just married, well, I was married a little while, and I'm kind of getting used to my in-laws, and they, my father-in-law is a pretty, you know, like, stern kind of fellow, so I'm just trying to work him out, and we, shortly after we got married, I fell pregnant, we had a baby, and we're staying in this tiny little kind of home, uh, place, home. It's hard to call it a house, but it was officially a house, but it was very small. We... 
So we're living there, and you know, another thing about me that you need to know, housework is not my big thing, you know, I just, I do it, but it's not my big thing. It's not like my favorite pastime. So I, David, my eldest, he's a, he's a little baby. Um, Andrew, my husband, is out. I'm at home. I'm wearing my at-home clothes. You know those clothes. Those clothes you will never been seen dead outside in. You know, but they're comfortable and lovely and old. And, you know, I confess, don't judge me. I haven't washed the dishes for a couple of meals. Neither has my husband, just saying. Just saying. <laughs> and so the, the dishes are piled up. It's such a tiny place that, you know, when the dishes pile up in the kitchen, they're actually partly in the lounge. You understand what I'm talking about? So the, I, I, David, I've been up all night because he's a young baby, haven't slept. I'm just like trying to work out whether I'm still alive or not. I put him on the floor and I just throw the toys on the floor so he can just play with himself. I'm just like trying to recover and just work out how I'm going to make my day. And I hear a knock on the door. I'm like, who's this? So I go and I peer through that little hole in the door, you know, to make sure there's no robber on the other side. You know that hole? Peering through it, and there on the other side is, surprise, surprise, my father-in-law. I'm like, oh my word, how fast can I get changed? I'm just going to take those dishes, throw them out the window, and forget I ever had them. I mean, I'm just like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I come up with this really great plan. I'm going to pretend I'm not there. So, so I go and I climb behind the couch with my little baby because I've got to keep him quiet, you know, because he can't give this away. So there I am in my old clothes, crouched behind the couch, keeping the baby quiet, and just like, oh, will he go, will he go, will he go? Silence. And then I hear behind me on the window a knock. <laughs> no. I'm not, I'm not making this up. It's a wonder I'm still alive. I didn't even die of embarrassment. There behind me at the window is my father-in-law in all his upright glory. <laughs> Carol, can I come in? <laughs> so so I, let, I let him in. He comes in and we like awkwardly sit and have tea or something. I don't know. I can't even remember. And you know, to this to the end of his life, he's gone to be the Lord now, but to the end of his life, we never spoke about it. It was just like, <laughs> but, but here's, here's the thing. My, my father-in-law turned out after a little while to be a very nice man. You understand what I mean? Like over the years, I got to love him. He got to love me to the point where, you know, later I thought, why didn't I just let him in? He would have sat on the couch with me, laughed about the mess, and, you know, we would have had a great time. It would have been great. But... But because I had a wrong perception of who he was, I couldn't open the door. And you know, this is, this is so true, is that there is a God who's knocking on the, the door of your heart. He's knocking on the door of the heart of the people around you. And because they don't know him, they're too scared to open the door. I mean, your, your non-Christian friends, let me ask you this, why don't they come to church? Because they're scared they're going to be judged. Why don't they say yes to Jesus? Because overwhelmingly they say things like this. Oh my word, he, he's going to be angry at me. He's going to judge me. He's going to point out all my sins. He's going to be, you know, it's just going to be terrible. He's going to be, make my life hard because I'm just going to have to work hard to please him. You know, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly they prove that the Jesus they think they know is the Jesus who doesn't exist. And they are resisting opening their door with everything they have because their understanding of who, they, who he is is wrong. I want to take it a step further. I want to say, Jesus is the, you know, you've let him in the front door. You've let him in the front door. He's in the house. But I'm telling you, you have a room or two. <laughs> where the door's closed. You've got some secrets hidden in there. You've got some, some of the mess that I didn't want my father-in-law to see. You've got it piled up somewhere, some dirty laundry or some clothes or some unwashed dishes. You've got the door closed and Jesus is knocking on that door too. And because you think, you, it's like, oh gosh, Jesus is amazing, but I don't know what he'll think of that. Sometimes there's a resistance to let him into those places. The sermon is about letting him in, letting him in. So there was a church, 
in the first century, in the city of Laodicea. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, Laodicea? It might be the only time you ever say this word. So say it well, enjoy it. Laodicea. And God came to the Apostle John, and while he was having this great revelation that would become the, the book of Revelation, he asked John to pen a couple of paragraphs to this church, to write a message from his heart to this church. And we're going to read exactly what he said to that church. Revelation 3 from verse 14 and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. How's that for a resume? But I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, bless, bless your word. Speak to us as we step into the uncovering of this word. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. You know, the interesting thing about this church in Laodicea is that it was a very prosperous city. It had a banking sector that was very well run and it was kind of the finances of the entire region came through the city, so a very, very wealthy city. In addition, this, this city had a, a textile industry. It had black sheep that had a particularly fantastic wool that they used to use to make a particular kind of clothing that people wanted. So it brought in huge amounts of revenue to the city. In addition, this city had a medical center, and this medical center had developed, believe it or not, a, an ointment for eyes that, that healed eyes. Supposedly. It was many centuries back. But it had this medical center that was the state-of-the-art medical regime of the times. And this city, city was well-known, very, very self-sufficient, so self-sufficient that at one stage they had an earthquake and a portion of the city was destroyed. And in those days, Rome would offer financial support to places that had had natural disasters. And this city turned back to Rome and said, don't worry. Well, we've got this, so they, and they fixed their own city. So very self-sufficient, wealthy, just really taking care of themselves. How many of you have moved to Joburg from somewhere else? Just raise your hand. Why did you come to Joburg? <laughs> you didn't? You didn't? I, the, thank you. Those lovely answers. I didn't hear a word of it. You didn't come for the mountain. You didn't come for the sea, like some other countries, I mean, some other cities. You didn't come for those things. You didn't come for the great entertainment industry. You came for a job. People come to Joburg, why? They come to Joburg to make money. One of the things in Joburg that we really battle the most is our obsession with materialism. Not you, all those other people out there. <laughs> I know, I know. But Jesus was talking to a church in a city just like us. People came there, not for the natural beauty, they came there for the industry. They came there for a job. They came there to make money, just like us. And they had done it well, they were successful. And yet Jesus looked at this church and said, your outward success 
is not commensurate with your inward success. You're missing something. You're missing something. And he makes this statement to them. He asks them to come to him and buy something from him. I mean, he's speaking the commercial language. Can you see that? He's getting right down with them and saying, I know what speaks to you. Come and buy something from me. Now, we know something about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not transactional. In other words, you don't work for God's love. You don't, you don't strive hard to get his favor. You have his favor, therefore you do good things. You're not trying to be faithful so that God will be good to you. God is faithful, therefore you are faithful. God, it's not a transaction. God is going to be good no matter what. So when he was saying, come and buy something with, from me, he's not, he's not talking about that kind of a transaction. He's saying something completely different. He's saying, you have worked so hard to try and build something up for yourself, and yet it is not doing for you what you thought it would do. It is not satisfying the deepest parts of your heart. It's not making the kind of difference in the world that you expected it to. Come and give it to me. Come and give it to me. Let go of your own self-sufficiency and see what I will replace it with. Let go of what is in your hands so that I can fill it. And he offers them three exchanges. These are the exchanges he offers them. First of all, he asks them to exchange false wealth for true wealth. He says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. You know what I love about this? Is that there's so much wild stuff going around Christianity about money. Some churches you go to, you'd think there was nothing else in the kingdom but money. Some places you go to, and it seems very clear that you're supposed to give away all your money and just be poor. I mean, it's like from one extreme to another. And yet when I look at this, it's so great. Because he says, come and buy from me gold. I mean, they had gold. He was talking about some other kind of gold. And then he says, why? Why must you come and get this gold from me? So that you can be rich. They were rich. But he was talking about a different kind of rich. And what I love about this is that from this, it is so clear that God is not about making you poor. That his goal for you is to make you rich. But it's the right kind of rich. The right kind of rich. The Bible is very clear that God hates poverty. Absolutely hates poverty. He hates it when people grow up in situations where they don't have access to resources. Where they can't, they can't fulfill their dreams or go after their destiny because of because all of the, the negativity and the, the pain and the heartache that's around him. He hates poverty. The gospel is good news to the poor. The gospel is good news to the poor. In Deuteronomy, all those many, many laws that were written, it says that part of the reason for those laws is so that there would be no poor amongst you. So have we got that clear? God hates poverty. What he is not saying is give up everything so you can be poor. He's saying give up everything so you can be rich. Jesus, you know, you know Jesus, do you know Jesus? If you don't, we've got a solution for that right here. But Jesus, when you read his writings, man, he was straight to the point. I mean, he didn't mince words. And in Luke 16, verse 13, he says some fantastic things. He says this, you can't serve two masters. So far, so good. He says, you will either hate the one and love the other, or love the one and hate the other. I mean, you, you can't do it. And then to make sure you really understand what he's saying, he goes on and says, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and money. Everyone take a deep breath, because we live in Joburg. You can't serve both God and money. 
you know, I was very fortunate. I was born into a wealthy family. I want to tell you this, that I've seen more poor, more, more poor rich people than I've seen poor, poor people. Poverty is not a lack of money. Poverty is a lack of Jesus. I mean, the family I grew up with in, grew up in super wealthy, but divorces everywhere, mental illness everywhere, pain and heartache everywhere, just devastation from left to right. And if you met them, they're all together, all lovely, but broken on the inside. Poverty is not about your bank balance. Poverty is not about your bank balance. True kingdom wealth is about having Jesus on the inside. 1 Timothy talks about what true wealth is from verse 5 to 10 and verse 17 to 19. You can go and read it for yourself. But God describes very clearly what true wealth is. This wealth that Jesus said to them, come and buy from me gold refined in fire. Come and get the stuff that really matters. Paul to Timothy defines wealth as contentment. Content, godliness with contentment is great gain. What is contentment? Contentment is I'm happy with what I have. Don't you know this? That if you're chasing after wealth, if you're chasing after wealth, there is never, ever, 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 ever enough. What does that mean? There's always one more car to buy. There's always one more holiday destination. There's always one more house. There's always one, more ni one nicer outfit. It never, ever, ever ends. And I can speak this in Job because I know what chases you daily. Guys, if we're going to be, if we're going to be the generation that makes a difference in this nation, we're going to have to shake this off. We're going to have to shake this off. I'm going back one. If money is a tool, it will serve you. If money is a goal, it will rule you. We want all the money we can get, but not because we're chasing money, because we're chasing the kingdom and there's stuff to do. And money must serve the purposes of the kingdom. It can't serve the purposes of the kingdom stuck in your bank account. It can't serve the purposes of the kingdom pushed underneath your mattress. It can't serve the purposes of the kingdom hanging in your cupboard row after row after row after row after row of outfit. Am I speaking to the right people? Money works when it gets out there and touches lives. That's what makes the kingdom work. Moving right along. Contentment. True wealth is a right eternal perspective. This life is a flash in the pan, a blink of the eye, a drop in the ocean. There is eternity coming, and the way you spend eternity will depend on what you did with your life here today. Do not be deceived into thinking that what you built here is what there is. Eternal perspective. Next of all, generosity and good works. Generosity and good works. Guys, true wealth is this, seeing the joy in that student's eyes as their fees are paid for and they knew they, knew they were never going to get through varsity, but you paid. Seeing the joy in their eyes. True wealth is taking someone by the hand who has no hope of a future and lifting them up with the stuff that you earned and seeing the light come into their eyes. True joy is seeing the gospel spread to the ends of the earth. And last of all, true wealth is faith. It's a trust in God. What is, what is faith? Faith is this, that I know that the God was with me today will be the God who's with me tomorrow, and the day after, and the day after, and the day after, and how good he was to me, is to me today is how good he will be then. I don't have to hang on to everything. I don't have to hoard anything, everything. I don't have to keep everything close because the God who provides for me today will be the God who will provide for me then. And though danger come, God will be there. God will be there. Are you all good with this? Because you're not my new or normal audience, so I have to check. 
The next exchange he asked for is he, he wanted their false identity so that he could give them a true identity. He said this to them, I counsel you to buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your make, nakedness may not be seen. All of us have looked into the eyes of someone who's carrying shame. You know what I'm talking about. That person that you grew up with in school who's, who's now an unmarried mother and you've seen the shame in her heart. You've walked past the, the person on the side of the road and, you, and you've seen them in their, in their squalor and you've seen them look at you and you've seen the shame in their eyes. You've walked past the child who, who's been bullied at school and you look in the eyes and you see the shame. And you wonder what has shame got to do with identity? Shame is an identity label. It says this, I'm a failure, I'm no good, I'll never make it. Shame is not an emotion, shame is an identity. And you've seen it all around, but what you don't know is that successful person sitting next to you in the boardroom has as much shame. They've just learned how to cover it up with a veneer of respectability. They've learned how to, how to fake it till they make it. Every single one of you, I guarantee you this, you have had moments where you thought, I'm not good enough, I'll never make it. How can I get through this? I don't have what it takes. Is there anyone in the room who's never felt like that? No. The state of the human heart without Jesus is shame. Because without Jesus, you can't make it. Without Jesus, you're not good enough. No, without Jesus, you don't have what it takes. Human beings were designed from the beginning of time to carry the glory of God. We were designed to be clothed in raiments of glory. Everything you see that is less than that is humanity in its shame. There was a time when Clothed in his glory, we turned to him and said, we think we can do it our own way. Like the La Laodiceans, we said, we're good enough on our own. We can manage. We don't need you. And we took off the cloak of his glory and we went it on our own. And from that moment forward, every human being has been born in shame. Less than they should be. Not adequate. Unable to make it. Why? Because we are never meant to make it without Jesus. The successful CEO is carrying about as much shame as the beggar on the street. They just have learned how to cover it up. But here's the beauty of Jesus. is that he comes to the successful church and he looks past their veneers. He looks into their hearts and says, I see your shame. Hand it over. Give it up. Let me clothe you with my presence. Stop trying to make it work on your own. Come to me and get me. Come to me and get me. A very scary verse in Philippians 3.19. There's good news at the end of this, so hang on. It talks about the ungodly, and it says their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory and their shame with mindset on earthly things. They and they glory in their shame. You know what? This is what the world does. This is what the world does. It lives in the shame and degradation of being less than they should be, of being less than human. Do you understand? Without Jesus, you're not even fully human. These people living without Jesus, less than they should be, then turn to the world and say, look how great I am. And Jesus standing on the door of every one of those hearts, knocking and saying, in the nighttime, when you lie alone on your bed, and your veneer and your, uh, your presentation of success just fades away and falls like dust to the ground, and you're left with only you, I'm still there knocking. I'm still there knocking. And you know what I want to ask you as Christians? Please, do not be deceived by the veneers of the successful around you. I'm asking you to look past and hear Jesus knocking on their door because they're living in the kind of shame that is unbearable. They won't tell you. They won't say it. But you know where you were before Jesus came and met you. And he's knocking on the door. He's like, let me in. 
Let me clothe that shame with my glory. Let me show you what you were meant to be. Romans 10 verse 11, quoting from Isaiah, says this. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Yes! Like I said before, so many people are resistant to let Jesus in. Why? Because they think he's going to pile on the shame. The absolute opposite is true, is that when Jesus comes in, he takes the shame and he gives you his presence. He gives you his glory. He lifts you up out of the ashes. He gives you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. He makes the difference. That's who he is. That's who he is. He takes you back to who you were always meant to be. Exchange false identity for true identity. And the last one, is that he asked them to exchange false sight for true sight. False sight for true sight. He says, I counsel you to buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So that you may see. Everyone here is wearing glasses. Some of you are really wearing glasses, but everyone is wearing glasses. Your glasses consist of all the things you were told as a child about how the world works, who God is, who you are, who your neighbor is. Your glasses consist of what you learned at school about how the world works. It's what the media and the entertainment industry tells you day in, day out. It's what your grandmother spoke to you on her knee as she, as she raised you. It's the, the lens through which you see the world. And despite the fact that your grandmother was a lovely and beautiful woman, your glasses are wrong. Your glasses have cracks. Your glasses are colored. And Jesus is coming to each and every one of you and saying, come and see like I see. Come and see the world like I see it. Do you know that part of the maturity that happens in Christ is you taking off all the many glasses that you have worn over the years and saying, God, I choose to see the world as you see it. I don't see a South Africa as a nation going down the tubes. I see South Africa as a nation being raised up by the glory and the presence of God. I don't see my neighbor as someone who's irritating because they play loud music. I see my neighbor as someone that God is reaching out to. I don't see myself as someone who just will never make it. I see myself as someone who God has his hand on and is reaching up for great things through me. I see not the world as the world tells me it is. I see the world as you say it is. This is what Jesus is inviting you to. This is what Jesus is calling you to do, to say, take off your preconceptions. In essence, this is what he's saying, is give back the apple that Adam chose. I don't know, was it an apple? Whatever. Give back the watermelon. I don't know what was so delicious that you were prepared to throw away all of eternity for. I just don't know. It must be that one powerful fruit. I don't know if I'd do that for Granny Smith. You know, I just, I don't know. (laughs) Greg's saying he might do it for a mango. But I mean, in essence, what he's doing is that day that we chose to define ourselves for ourselves, what is right and wrong is the day that we put the wrong glasses on. And from then on, the world is not clear. Our future is not defined. There is nothing that we can do about, about reaching for rightness or goodness because everything's cracked, everything's blurred. We can't see what's real. And there comes a time when every human being must say for themselves, I'm not going to define right and wrong for myself. I'm going to put on the lens of Jesus Christ. And he will tell me what's good. He will tell me what's right. He will tell me where to put my step. He will tell me who to love. He will tell me how to love. He will show me how to receive love. I will wear his lenses, the lenses of Jesus Christ. I will see again. I hope you're liking this because I'm getting points here. I counsel you to buy from me salve to anoint your eyes. Something, if you went on the Jesus at the door outreach, how many of you went on that? You remember that little card that you were doing, using, he says there on this, one of the things in that evangelistic method that we, 
we ask people is as we're conversing them, we ask them this question, if Jesus were here right now, would you let him in? It's a question I guess Jesus is asking you all the time. If, I, if you really believed I was there, would you let me in? The truth is so often we don't believe he's there. And the people we're interfacing with, it's like, of course, if we were here, I'd let him in. Okay. Can you see the wind? No. But you can feel it, right? Like the wind, Jesus is here right now. Can I pray for you to feel his presence? This is Jesus knocking at the door of your neighbor. This is Jesus knocking on the door of your family member. This is Jesus knocking on the door of your work colleague, saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. As we know, the door, the handle of this door is on the inside, which what does that mean? Is that only the person can open in. But your job is to stand next to each and every person and point out the handle, to point out the knock that is happening, and tell them what that Jesus is really like. That Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. When Jesus came into my life, I got no judgment. All I got was acceptance in life. I remember that day. I remember that day so well. I was, I was, I was so alone. I had many friends, but I was so alone. I remember that feeling. Do you remember that feeling? I was on my way to a university degree. I hated every minute of what I was doing. I looked at my future and all I could see was endless work at stuff I didn't like. I banked more le lectures than I attended because deep in my heart I was just so depressed about the future. Everything the world told me would give me joy was just like dust in my mouth. Do you remember? Do you remember? And everyone thought I was the life and soul of every party, but deep inside I was crying tears day in and day out. And then I heard the knock. I heard the knock on the door. And there was someone next to me, and they said, did you hear that knock? That's Jesus. And I didn't say these exact words, but the conversation went around this somehow like this. But you know what? I feel so bad about myself. I don't want to come before Jesus. It's just going to make me feel worse. And they took my hand and they said, no, no, that's not who he is. He's the one who lifts up the downtrodden. He's the one who loves the unlovely. He's the one who comes and sits with the lonely. He's the one who repairs broken hearts. He's the one who sees you for who you could be, not for who you are, have made yourself. He's the one who makes the difference. And when I saw what he had done for her, I said, yes, I can trust that, Jesus. I can, I can un you know what, our doors aren't just closed. They're barricaded. They are locked. They, you know, I had, I had to like unlock like 15 locks. It's like my resistance to Jesus was so thick. But when I saw what Jesus had done through her, and when she prayed, when she prayed, she never prayed this exact thing that, that Scott McNamara prayed, but when she prayed, I felt heaven move. You know, things changed. I was having problems with my parents, you know, as every teenager or young adult has. And when she prayed, things changed. Probably I changed. And I felt the breath of the wind of Jesus Christ blowing through my life. And when I tasted that cool breeze in those lonely places, I said, yes. I can open that door. I can open that door. Whoa. So there are some people here today that Jesus is in the front door, but there's some other doors that he's been knocking in your heart. There have been some places where you've been self-sufficient or you've been hiding or you've been ashamed. 
And God's asking you right now if you'll open those doors. And I'm asking you if you will open those doors. So we're going to just spend some time. Thank you. We're going to have beautiful Jesus music in the background. And I want you to take some time, and I want you to just say, God, it's true. This lounge in my heart, you haven't been there. I kept the door closed, and I'm going to open it, and I want you to come in. You know the rooms. And I want you to just say, Jesus, all of it, it's yours. It's all of it's yours. Lord, I just pray that you would come and touch those parts of people's hearts. You'd come into those rooms. And then, Lord, I just want to pray this. Father God, you give them courage to keep those doors open. That forever, every room of their heart would be found with you, with you present. Lord, there's some people specifically here that have battled with crippling loneliness. Crippling loneliness, Lord. I'm asking that they would let you into those rooms now, Lord God. Would you come and wipe that away? Would you come and wipe them away? There are people here, Lord God, that they've, they've had sinful thoughts that they thought had, were so bad that if anyone knew, Lord, if anyone knew this, they would, be, they would be cast out. I don't know what they think, Lord, but Lord, you know it already. Lord, give them the courage to let you in there. Give them the courage to let you in there. Lord God, some of them have disappointment and heartache. And Lord God, they've, they've been trying to protect that place of pain for so long. And I'm asking that you give them the courage to open the door to let you in. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, there's hopelessness in this room, Lord God. Some people are just very hopeless about their future. It's hard for them to even admit it. And Lord God, I ask that they would let you into that room and you, they would hear your words saying, my son, my daughter, your future shines like the sun. Do not fear, for I have already walked into your future. I've already made a path for you. Come with me. Come with me. Thank you, Lord. And then last of all, there's some people here and you've never opened the front door. You've never allowed Jesus into your house. What I mean by that is, maybe this is your first time in church or maybe you've been in church many times, but, but at the bottom of it, you know that Jesus is not in charge of your life and you want him to be. And you, if you're here and that's you and you want to make that change, I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand because I want to pray for you. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? You've heard Jesus knocking on the door of your heart and you want to let him in. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? Please just raise your hand up high. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, I just pray. For every person here, Lord God, we look at the joy of having you with us, the beauty of your majesty with us, us clothed in your glory, never, ever, ever, ever having to live alone again. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen.